to begin this episode with a big disclaimer. This podcast wouldn't be what it is. It wouldn't have come to where it's come to and be as great as I'd hoped it would be without the kind, loving, unbelievable support of my producers. And everything I've done has been in thanks to them and and in cheers to them. So thank you, Cyrus and Kaylee. Thank you to everything they do for me and what great friends they are. That set aside, the other disclaimer is the first two things you heard at the beginning of this episode. Go back and listen to them again after I tell you what they are. Not right yet. Let me tell you what they are. The first two are actual radio transmissions from the Cassini Orbiter from Saturn. So those sounds that you actually heard are sounds of Saturn. And the the last one is lightning on Jupiter. And their transmission that's a transmission from Voyager. And those are actual actual sounds and actual transmissions of another planet of other planets. That is beyond cool. That is just so awesome to me. And it got me wondering, what are extrasolar planets? For, for people who don't know and people who are curious, what is an extrasolar planet? What does that mean? And it, did, and it does a lot of my research. And I went to Universe Today and I went to Wikipedia and my own knowledge and did research. And a lot of this is from my notes and from those other sites. So it's just an amazing, wonderful, incredible thing. And for countless generations, human beings have looked out the night sky and wondered if they were alone in the universe. With the discovery of other planets in our solar system, the true extent of the Milky Way galaxy and other galaxies beyond our own, the question has only deepened and become more profound. It's also known that in the center in the center of our galaxy, there's what's called a supermassive black hole. And it's, it, it's in the center of our galaxy and most of the galaxies that we know. And we are actually not... We are actually on the outer edge of the Milky Way galaxy. You can actually see it. If you, you can actually see the Milky Way galaxy if you look into space. With the naked eye, you can see it. It's really, really beyond cool. And really, really beyond awesome. Whereas astronomers and scientists have long suspected that other star systems in our galaxy and the universe had orbiting planets of their own, it has only been written within the last few decades that any had been observed over time. The methods for detecting these extrasolar planets have improved, and the list of those whose existence had been confirmed has grown accordingly. Around, I want to say, just a little over 4,000. 4,000 extrasolar planets. So extra meaning outside and solar referring to our own solar system. So, extrasolar. Also meaning exoplanet. It's a planet that orbits a star or part of a solar system other than our own. Our solar system is only one among billions, and many of them most likely have their own system of planets. 
As early as the 16th century, there have been astronomers who have hypothesized about the existence of extrasolar planets. The first recorded mention was made by Italian philosopher Giordano Bruno, Giordano Bruno, an early supporter of the of the Copernican theory. In addition to supporting the idea that the Earth and other planets orbit the Sun, heliocentrism, he put forth the view that the fixed stars are similar to the Sun and are likewise accompanied by planets. In the 18th century, Isaac Newton made a similar suggestion that the general scolum section in which concludes his, in which he concludes in his principal is principia principia I have was getting tongue tied there in his principia making a comparison to the sun's planet he wrote and if the fixed stars are the centers of similar systems they will they will all be constructed according to a similar design and subject to the dominion of one the dominion of one being the dominion of Earth, or the dominion of Earth's solar system, the one that we're in. Uh, since Newton's time, I lost my place there. Since Newton's time, various discovery claims have been made, but all were rejected by the scientific community as false positives. In the 1980s, a group of astronomers claimed that they had identified some extrasolar planets in nearby star systems but were unable to confirm their existence until years later. One of the reasons why extrasolar planets are so difficult to detect is because they are even fainter than the stars they orbit. Additionally, these stars give off light that washes the planets out, i.e. obscures them from, from direct observation. As a result, the first discovery was not made until 1992 by astronomer by astronomers Alexander. I'm going to just, I'm going to butcher Alexander's last name. W O L S Z C Z A N and Dale Frail. Using the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico, the pair observed several terrestrial mass planets orbiting the pulsar PSR. B1257 plus 12. It was not until 1995 that the first exoplanet confirmation around a main star sequence was made. In this case, the planet observed was 51 Pegasi b, a giant planet found in a four-day orbit around its host star. 51 Pegasi, approximately 51 light-years from our Sun. Initially, most of the planets detected were gas giants similar to, or larger than, Jupiter, which led to the term Super Jupiter being coined. From, far from suggesting that gas giants were common than rocky life, i.e. Earth-like planets, these findings were simply due to the fact that Super Jupiter-sized planets are simply easier to detect because of their size, which makes perfect, a lot of perfect sense. Another way to detect a planet's another way to detect a planet's presence if you can't if you can't see the planet itself is to detect the way if you're seeing a star is to detect the way the star wobbles. If if a star if you're looking at a star 
and you look at a star for a lengthy period of time, and the star seems to wobble, or wiggle, or move a little bit. It's could be it's because something is passing around it, and and pulling on it, and with its gravity, it's tugging on that star, and it's causing the star to wobble, or causing the star to move. That's one way to determine if there is a planet orbiting it, if you can't see that planet. Another, it doesn't always mean that there's a planet causing the star to wobble. It could mean that there's a moon that's causing the star to wobble. But it tends to mean that it's a planet because usually something that big, it has to be something that big in order to cause a star to wobble. Now, the Kepler mission. Named after the Renaissance astronomer Johannes Kepler, the Kepler Space Observatory was launched, in, launched by NASA on March 7, 2009 for the purpose of discovering Earth-like planets orbiting other stars. As part of NASA's discovery program, a series of relatively low-cost projects focused on scientific research. Kepler's mission was to, define, was to find evidence of extrasolar planets and estimate how many stars in our galaxy have planetary systems. Relying on the transit method of detection, Kepler's sole Kepler's, Kepler's soul used a photometer to continually monitor the brightness of over 150,000 main sequence stars in fixed field of field, in fixed field of view. This data was then transmitted back to Earth, where it was analyzed by scientists to look for any signs of periodic dimming caused by extrasolar planets trans, transiting in front of their host star. I also forgot to mention the dimming, what they, what the planets caused or what the planets seem to do when they pass in front of a star. The initial planned lifetime of the Kepler mission was 3.5 years, but greater than expected results led to the mission be ext- being extended. In 2012, the mission was expected to last until 2016, but this changed due to the failure of two of the spacecraft's reaction wheels which are used for pointing the spacecraft. This disabled the, co- the collection of scientific data and threatened the continuation of the mission. On August 15, 2013, NASA announced that they had given up trying to fix the two failed reaction wheels and modified the mission accordingly. Rather than scrap Kepler, NASA's proposed, proposed changing the mission to utilizing Kepler to detect habitable planets around smaller, dimmer red dwarf stars. This proposal, which became known as K2 Second Light, was approved on May 16, 2014. The K2 mission, which lasted until, focused more on brighter stars such as G and K-class stars. As of February recently, as of almost last month. As of February 6, 2021, last month, astronomers have confirmed, whoa, this is a huge number that I didn't write down and I just saw in the article. As of February 6, last month, 2021, astronomers have confirmed the presence of over 4,341 exoplanets in 3,216 planetary systems, the majority of which were found using data from Kepler. All told, 
the space probe observed more than 5,000, sorry, 530,506 stars in the course of its primary NK2 missions. That means, think about it, that means the astronomers confirmed the presence of 4,341 exoplanets. They confirmed these planets. That means somewhere out in the universe, there are planets that exist. And they don't, they're not, while they can confirm that a good majority of them are gas giants, they may also be able to confirm that they're rocky planets. And they don't always know if those planets are in the habitable zone of their host star, which we just, maybe not recently, within the last 20 years, but we, we confirmed that the habitable zone of our own solar system extends farther than we thought. The habitable zone extends out to the fourth planet and beyond. So it has exhibited, and even and previous episodes will tell you this, it has been proven that life, that life very well could have existed on Mars. And Mars is in its host star's habitable system. Or its habitable zone. Sorry, that's the word I meant to use. Zone. So of these 4,341 exoplanets, some of them, I'm willing to bet you, some of them, if not a good huge amount of them, are in their host star's habitable system. And they could, since we don't know, they very likely could have life. Now, whether or not it's life as we determine life to be, that's one thing. It could be another kind of life. It could be a different type of life. But it's life. And what is life to us might not be life to them. Life could be something else like a rock. <laughs> or it could be dirt. That could be considered life. We have to kind of stop looking at life through our definition of it. And maybe if we broaden our horizons like that, we could find it. But just the fact that that many exoplanets were found in such a vast array of space, it's kind of weird to assume that life can't exist, that we're the only planet. It's just... It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And in, in November of 2013, astronomers reported that one in five stars in the Milky Way galaxy could have Earth-sized planets orbiting them within their habitable zones. Between 40 and 80 billion. Between 40 and 80 billion in our own galaxy. Not way off in Andromeda or Alpha Centauri or somewhere distant in our home galaxy, in our own galaxy between 40 and 80 billion they further estimated that 7 to 15% of these planets orbit sun-like stars aka main sequence G-type yellow dwarfs it's Un, it's unfathomable how much of this vast array, how much this vastness, and people saying it doesn't exist. That's that's garbage. To, you, 
it's it, how can it not? Now we don't like I said we don't know because we haven't we don't have the technology and we we haven't explored it. We don't know this info. But just something like it's just it's just weird to assume that. The first exoplanet confirmed by Kepler to have an average orbital distance that placed it within its star's habitable zone was Kepler-22b. This planet is located about 600 light-years from Earth in the constellation of Cygnus and was first observed on May 12, 2009 and then confirmed on December 5, 2011. Based on all the data obtained, Scientists believe that this world is roughly 2.4 times the radius of Earth and either has oceans or watery outer shell. Now, either has oceans, which, by our definition, that means life. Look at what happened on Earth. You have oceans, you have water, you have life. The discovery of exoplanets has also intensified interest in the search for extraterrestrial life, particularly for those that orbit the host star's habitable zone, also known as the Goldilocks zone. This is the region of the solar system where conditions are warm enough, but not too warm, so that it's possible for liquid water, and therefore life, to exist on the planet's surface. Again, what do we define life to be? What is, what is the definition of life? Our Earth definition or others? Prior to, the develop, prior to the deployment of Kepler, the vast majority of confirmed exoplanets fell into the category of Jupiter-sized or larger. However, over the course of the missions, Kepler managed to identify over six over 6,000 over 6, potential candidates, many of them falling into the categories of Earth size or super Earth size. Many of these are located in the habitable zone of their parent stars, and some even around sun like stars. According to a study conducted by NASA's Ames Research Center, Analysis of the Kepler mission data indicated that about 24% of M-class stars may harbor potentially habitable Earth-sized planets, i.e. those that are similar and then those that are similar than 1.6 times the radius of Earth. Based upon the number of M-class stars in the galaxy, that alone represents about 10 billion. Potentially, potentially habitable Earth-like worlds. Ten billion. That is a big, big number. Meanwhile, analysis of the K2 phase suggests that about one quarter of the large stars surveyed may also have Earth-sized planets orbiting them within their habitable zones. Taken together, the stars observed by Kepler make up about 70% of those found within the Milky Way. So, one can estimate that there are literally tens of billions of potentially potentially habitable planets in our galaxy alone. Tens of 
billions of potentially habitable planets in the Milky Way galaxy alone. That doesn't take into like I said, doesn't take take Andromeda or Alpha Centauri into consideration. That is a like I said before, that is a huge number. And when you read these numbers and you see more of these numbers, you realize how kind of foolish it might be to assume that we're alone. And I've often thought that when people who assume that we're alone, people who assume that there's no way that there's anyone other than us, are kind of just not really considering the numbers and considering what's been observed. While some exoplanets have been observed directly with telescopes, the vast majority have been detected through indirect methods, such as the transit method and a radial velocity method. In the case of the transit method, a planet is observed while crossing the path in front of its parent star's disk. When this occurs, the observed brightness of the star drops by a small amount. This can be used to determine the radius of the planet and can sometimes allow a planet's atmosphere to be investigated through, through spectroscopy. However, it also suffers from a substantial rate of false positives and requires that some part of the planet's orbit intersects with a line of sight between the host star and Earth. As a result, confirmation from another method is usually considered necessary. Nevertheless, it remains the most widely used method and is responsible for more exoplanet discoveries than all other methods combined. Both the Kepler Space Telescope and TESS TESS were specially designed to conduct this kind of photom photometry. The radial velocity, or Doppler method, involves measuring the star's radial velocity, i.e. the speed which, with which it moves towards or away from the Earth. This is a means of detecting planets because, as a planet orbits a star, they exert a gravitational they exert a gravitational influence that causes the star itself to move in its own small orbit around the, star, the system's center of mass. This method has the advantage of being applicable to stars with a wide range of characteristics. That's what I was saying earlier, the wobble. However, one of the disadvantages is that it cannot determine a planet's true mass but can only set a lower limit on that mass. It remains the second most effective technique employed by exoplanet hunters. Other methods include the transit, time, transit timing variation and gravitational microlensing. The former relies on measuring the variations in the times of transit for one planet to determine the existence of others. This method is effective in determining the existence of multiple transit planets in one system, but requires that the existence of at least one already be confirmed, already to be confirmed. In another form, the method timing the eclipse in an eclipsing binary star can reveal an outer planet that orbits both stars. As of February 2020, 21 planets have been found with this method, while numerous more were confirmed. In the case of gravitational microlensing, 
This refers to the effect of a star's gravitational field, the effect of a star's gravitational field can have, acting as a lens to magnify the light of a distant background star. Planets orbiting the star can cause detectable anomalies in the magnification over time, thus indicating their presence. This technique is effective in, de- in detecting stars that have wider orbits from the sunlight from from sun-like stars. On August 24, 2016, the European Space Agency, or maybe, yeah, the European Space Agency confirmed the existence of an Earth-sized rocky exoplanet orbiting Proxima Centauri, an M-type red dwarf star located 4.25 light-years away. This makes this particular exoplanet known as Proxima b, is the closest exoplanet to Earth. Equally important is the fact that it is believed that it is believed to orbit within the Proxima Centauri's habitable zone. They think it orbits, it, it orbits within the habitable zone. This discovery was made by the Pale, dot, the pale Red Dot campaign and a team of astro- astronomers led by Dr. Dr. Gilliam Anglada Ascude in the of the Queen Mary's University in London. My apologies for butchering your name. Based on the observation made using the high accu- the high accuracy radial velocity planet searcher. There's other technological means which if I get into I'm gonna butcher them. Based on the data obtained by the Pale Red Dot campaign and subsequent observations, Proxima Proxima B is estimated to be 1.2 times as massive as Earth, and between 1.3 times its size. It orbits its parent star at a distance of roughly 0.05 AU astronomical units, and takes just 11.2 days to complete a single orbit. Like many rocky planets orbiting M-type stars, Proxima b is believed to be tidally locked. Given the tenuous nature of M-type stars and their tendency to produce powerful flares, it is unclear whether or not Proxima b could maintain an atmosphere and liquid water on its surface over time. Multiple studies and climate models have been performed to determine the likelihood of Proxima b being able to support life, but no scientific consensus has ever emerged. On the one hand, multiple studies have concluded that solar flares, that's, that solar flare activity from its host star would inevitably strip Proxima b Cough attack right in the middle of what I was saying. <laughs> cough attacks, and that's what happens with coughs. They never time things when you want them to. On the other hand, let me get back to what I was saying. On the other hand, studies have concluded that solar flare activity from its host star would inevitably strip Proxima B of its atmosphere and radiate the surface. Meanwhile, other research and modeling have found that if Proxima B has a (coughs) 
that if, sorry everyone, that if Proxima B has a magnetic field, a dense atmosphere, and plenty of surface water and cloud cover, the odds of it being habitable are very encouraging. In January of 2020, an INAF-led team of astronomers announced the possibility, possible detection of a second planet around Proxima Centauri, including, including using the radial velocity measurements. According to the research team's papers, their measurements indicated the presence of a mini-Neptune. indicated the presence of a mini-Neptune, Proxima C, orbiting its parent star at a distance of 1.5 astronomical units. By June of 2020, a team of astronomers from the University of Texas McDonald Observatory used radial velocity measurements gathered by Hubble 25 years ago to confirm the the presence of Proxima C. Their research also placed tighter constraints on the planet's mass and orbital period, which are now estimated at 0.8 Jupiter masses and 1,900 days, respectively. In December of 2020, astronomers at the Parkes Radio Telescope in Australia announced the detection of a tantalizing radio signal coming from the direction of Proxima Centauri. The signal was picked up between April and May of 2019 as part of a breakthrough listen observation campaign. This signal, breakthrough listen candidate 1, has lasted for 30 hours and showed a number of curious features. For instance, the signal was ex- the signal was an extremely sharp narrow band emission, a 982 megahertz at 982 megahertz, it appeared to be an ongoing. It appeared to be lost my place. It appeared to be on, on undergoing a shift in frequency. According to various astro, astrophysicists, this is consistent with a moving source. However, the scientific community has has since announced that the signal is likely to be another likely to be anything other than the result of a natural phenomenon. It could be the signal coming back. It could be that something that had, that had occurred in Proxima Centauri, it's, it, occurred, it could be the result of a natural phenomenon that occurred in Proxima Centauri that just created the, the reaction, that just created the signal to come back. And it could be that that's what, that's what happened. So that... My nose kind of trail off at the end there. I guess I was kind of getting tired at the end when I was writing all that down. And they kind of trail off at the end there. So I kind of, I apologize for that. And I thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Stick around for a little bit more on the end here. Thank you so much. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. 
give them a five-star review, give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to go to Vegas? Visit the best places all around the Strip and all around downtown or all around the surrounding areas? Check out the best vlogs for Vegas anywhere on YouTube at Brar Frederick over on YouTube. B-R-O-R Frederick, F-R-E-D-R-I-K. Over on YouTube, go over to Brar Frederick. Subscribe to his channel. Click that bell icon. Click that Hit those those like those like up thumbs. Give give Brar a follow. Give Brar a look. You'll really love what you're seeing. He's an awesome streamer, the best Vegas streamer, and the best thing to watch while you're in Vegas before you go to Vegas, just to experience Vegas as a whole. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.